And so they're trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I continue, especially if they're the CEO of the company? How do I push through and manage my own internal experience of what I've been through because I'm supposed to be leading and yet I have my own experience of feeling isolated or exhausted and depressed. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and actionable love, the kind of love that we find leads to positive outcomes and is good for your company. Please share this episode with a friend to help us spread the Love in Action movement globally. So this is going to be a special episode. Well, I say special because there's an element of surprise here for you and for us too. We're going to feature a live coaching call on the show. We've never done this before, so I'm excited. And the reason I'm featuring a live coaching call is because so many of us have felt the incredible effects of the pandemic the last 12 to 15 months. It's taken a toll on so many leaders. I know this because, well, I have conversations with leaders all the time. And here's what I've heard for the last 12 months or so. This is what they're telling me. I've hit the wall or I'm hitting the wall. I'm drained. I'm running on empty. We're responding to one crisis after another. We have little or no time for reflection or refueling, or I'm worried that I might be burning out and it's affecting my personal life at home. So all these things you just heard, that's what I'm hearing. And maybe it's true for you as well. And you know, for many leaders, yes, they are burning out or draining out might be a a more accurate description. You know, growing weary from all of the demands that leaders face every day. So in having a leader coached on the show on issues of mental health that we're now all facing, you know, we're navigating all these stressors and hopefully managing our well-being. So the reason I'm featuring a coaching session is because you may hear your story in this person's story, the person being coached who is a a professional, an actual CEO of a company. And you're probably going to hear your own challenges that you may be facing and and the challenges that this person may be facing. Hopefully, and it is my deepest hope here that this episode will bring you more value than just information or, you know, just another good show that Marcel put out that's going to get you through your workout on your treadmill. Okay, I'm hoping that maybe something shifts inside you as you consider a different way of seeing things or a different way of being to manage your well-being and your emotions and everything that's going on around you. So to do the coaching segment for us today, I've brought to the show one of the best in the business. I'm honored to have on the show Jennifer Musselman. Jennifer is a globally recognized executive coach and a licensed marriage and family therapist for high-performing executives and entrepreneurs. Her clients come from companies like Tesla, Netflix, Apple, LinkedIn, and others. Now, with 20 years experience as an executive with Fortune 500 companies herself, she intimately understands the pressures her clients face in having to, you know, do this balancing act with 
their professional goals and their personal life as well. So Jennifer specializes in emotional intelligence, navigating conflict among leaders and couples, substance abuse, addiction and anxiety, burnout, stress and depression management, among other things. And her expertise has been featured in places like Forbes, Huffington Post, Psychology Today. Jennifer holds a master's degree in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University and is completing her doctoral work at USC in change management and leadership. And she now joins us. Jennifer, welcome to the Love and Action Podcast. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. I can't wait. This is going to be such an interesting episode. Wow. Okay, so we start the episode with Really, our guests kind of sharing their stories, sharing their why. And for you, what really stuck to me is, or struck me is that I'm interested in hearing the why of what would cause a former corporate executive of, of a Fortune 500 company to decide one day to go through this midlife career change and, you know, go back to school <laughs> to become a psychotherapist. I mean, what's the story behind that? Existential crisis. You know, I was working for Viacom MTV Networks, and there was a change in leadership at the top. And even though I was already an executive myself, I was more of like mid to upper executive. And the change management of the culture, you I saw a complete change in how people started connecting or relating with each other, which was not good. It became toxic. It became interpersonal conflict, cutthroat, you know, fighting for resources and I was really unhappy. And at the time, fortunately, I'd already been in personal therapy myself. But what I didn't understand was the, I will tell you, I call it workplace trauma, right? It's not an actual clinical term, but it's workplace trauma because the emotional and psychological abuse that I experienced and then had to learn how to kind of like navigate on my own and didn't have anyone to go to. Even my personal therapist didn't know how to handle it because therapists are not trained in workplace stuff specifically, right? Unless there's like a a PTSD workplace shooting kind of event. So unless you're working with an organizational psychologist, which are not readily accessible, you don't understand what's happening. And I literally would come home and curl into my bed into a fetal position and just what I didn't understand then was anxiety. I was mm. having so much anxiety and was just praying for it to go away. And it was through that process that I learned. I knew what was happening felt dangerous to me because of my personal childhood, my first childhood experiences. I had this intuition about how things are going to unfold or unpack and that there's danger ahead. Yeah. But I didn't understand how to help them fix it. Not that they would have listened, right? <laughs> I didn't understand it. And that sent me back to grad school to get my master's in clinical psychology, which then unpacked a whole bunch of mess of whole nother learning of just my personal, why I showed up the way that I did in that very dangerous, toxic environment, because I'm not necessarily proud of some of the behaviors I actually, you know, showed or demonstrated in that time either, just simply because I just was reacting to trying to stay safe and survive in a cutthroat environment that it had become. So that was the pivotal moment for me. And so then I wanted to, you know, specialize in drug and alcohol abuse because from working in the entertainment space, I had seen how company culture had so much used alcohol and for some companies, other substances 
to create a cultural dynamic, to bond. And I'd seen how it was wildly impairing. So I threw myself into the drug and alcohol treatment world while I was getting my license. And wow, was I my mind blown and discovered, you know, we like to use alcohol drugs to bond and to connect, but it's so disconnecting. And it's so a cover up of a lot of trauma in a lot of different ways. And I need to be clear, a lot of people are like trauma, trauma, trauma. They don't want to have trauma or some people gravitate toward the word trauma. In the clinical world, there's a big T and there's a little T. The big T is rape, post-traumatic stress disorder from going to war, right? Little T. And to be candid with you, I work so much with the little T. That's like the complex trauma of invalidating parents or workplace, again, I call it workplace PTSD, but workplace toxicity where you're just holding on to just stabilize and just trying to make sure that you don't lose your basic survival if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, right? All of that is sort of where I started gravitating was to the the quote-unquote normal trauma of everyday life and how it impacts from childhood to adulthood. Mm. And then that's how I got into startup. I was called by an investor, a friend of mine who said, we need a psychological intervention. And then I was like, entrepreneurship, high novelty seeking people. These are my people. (laughs) And that's how I started putting the two and two together because we, in psychology, bifurcate industrial psychology, clinical psychology, and nope, there's a huge integration. So that's where my sort of story is born from. Wow. How I interpret your story is that you you got to the point where this became sort of mission for you to disrupt mm-hmm. these toxic workplaces. And in a way, I mean, you're breaking the stigma that mental health is, oh, no, there's no place for, for mental health issues in a workplace. We just have to, you know, it's business. We just have to take care of business. And we're going to a completely different, different direction now mm-hmm. and realizing that we have to take care of our mental health because it is affecting the workplace and it is affecting productivity and how we perform, right? Yeah, I couldn't have known, I don't know, what is it now, 14 years ago when I made this personal, you know, my personal purpose that the world was going to, like, I knew that this was happening, but boy, could I have never imagined it was going to take a global pandemic for the business world to understand the impact or the importance. That was just an unfortunate event for the world, but a poignant moment for me in my career. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of pandemic, let's frame this into what's going on in the world right now. From your standpoint, from your experience, having counseled and coached now, you know, I don't know how many you've, you've, how many high level leaders you've coached, but Mm -hmm. you can probably figure out by now that there's a pattern of the Mm -hmm. same things that keep coming up, Mm -hmm. same issues that keep coming up. What would you say is maybe one or two of the biggest struggles that they're facing right now? I think obvious one is just the on the verge of burnout, if not past it. And who do they tell that to? They can't tell the board of directors they're feeling that way because what does that mean? Their partners are, you know, recognizing that they're getting it taken out on them at home. They're exhausted. They're depleting. Their their marriages are suffering. And so they're trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I continue? Especially if they're the CEO of the company, how do I push through and manage my own internal experience of what I've been through because I'm supposed to be leading. And yet I have my own experience of feeling isolated or exhausted and depressed. And Mm. even if it's not a clinical depression, it's, it's a low level sort of everyday grade 
of depression that they've experienced over the last nearly two years, especially if they were already tired going into the pandemic. So yeah, take us one step further now from mm-hmm. your clinical perspective. If they're caught in this dark cloud of maybe not clinical depression, but you know, they're just, how do you say it? It's languishing, I think is one of the words that's been thrown about recently. Yeah. It's just this cycle of negativity and it causes you emotionally to just be down in the dumps. I don't know how else to say it, but I just don't want to call it depression again, because they may not be clinically depressed, but they know that, Hey, I can't get past the stage. I'm like, everything is, I can't, become positive. I guess my question is, how do we manage our emotions to go from maybe this negative state, dark, being in the, in the dark clouds, to maybe seeing the sunshine again and taking care of our personal well-being? Is there like a, a technique or something that they can do? Yeah. So I do want to clarify a couple of things. So yeah. I think for a lot of people, when they hear the word depression or you know major depressive disorder, like it's <clears throat> like they don't get out of bed, they can't actually, and that's often true. Then there is a, another form, what we call a lower grade of depression clinically called persistent depressive disorder, which is, I was one of them. I could go into work, I can function, I can sort of compartmentalize, but I was not really in my body. And that just because I can function doesn't mean I'm optimizing. I do want to mm. make that clarification. And that's, that's really good. important. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, has happened over a two-year period. So that's just like, it just becomes a way of showing up over two years and you just don't really quite know what's happening and you're, but you're just kind of getting through, right? That does not mean you're doing well. It just means you're getting by. So to answer your question, how to get through it? I mean, obviously, I'm a huge proponent of self-care, and I think that's the most critical component. And you know, I'm going to use the word self-center, and some people have a negative connotation with it. And I'm like, no, you're just centering self, mm. and that is through self-reflection. Obviously, I think there's huge value in coaching or clinical therapy to have that reflection, that person to reflect back to you, sort of like you're even doing in this session of like what you're hearing, right? Having that person reflect back becomes like a light bulb moment for the person's going through the challenges that they're going through because they're living in their body and they're not up here hearing about what they're actually experiencing. Sometimes we need someone to get us out of our bodies, out of our heads. So self-care through self-reflection, having something to look forward to. Yes, I dare say it. Take that vacation plan. <laughs> you need to feel like there's something that there's like a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that's a bit of a reprieve. That's like, I can just unplug. And they have to unplug, meaning not shoot off emails all the time. If they're going to do some of that, that has to be in a contained space. You know, It's really hard for our entrepreneurs to just unplug entirely. But they had to contain it, right? The reason that that vacation and unplugging is critical, it's because it gets you out of the fog and it lifts your mood. And so having that planning of like, I've got a place to go. This sounds really amazing. Now you're starting to feel like there's a freedom that's about to happen, like something I'm working toward. And so obviously also, I'm a huge proponent of working out and exercise and getting Mm -hmm. into our bodies. And finding that regular routine and getting out of our brains. For some reason, people running is a huge way for them to kind of process what they're experiencing. But getting in the body is super important. So that's, again, through working out. And then I'm a huge proponent of like meditation or mindfulness walking or of that sort. 
Yeah, those are all, all great uh, things that I have used in my own mm-hmm. life as well to battle my own anxiety. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. So, okay, so here's my last question before we transition to this live coaching session. And I cannot wait to see how this is going to turn out. So I personally believe that leadership is an expression of love. I speak of actionable and practical mm-hmm. love and care that empowers human beings to bring out their best selves to work, right? So there's a lot of power in leading with love. And the research states that cultures of care where people feel loved will do better work. It's plain and simple. It's the fact. So this is really good for business. So before we transition to the coaching session, I want to get your take on this. How does a leader lead with love day in and day out these days? It's a great question. And what I'd like to incorporate into that is people to to recognize that it's a leader of both a culture, like a company, and a leader of a family or a leader of a country. It's leadership across the board. And too many people don't realize that it's how you show up in whatever domain you're in. And that is coming from a place of centering, a place of that has both social cognitive theory, which demonstrates that through modeling behavior that espouses the values of the family, of the company, of the country, is critical for both the leader, but also for the people that are around them. It's a, don't do as I do, do as I say. Yeah, it's not doing that, (laughs) right? It's modeling what you're espousing as good behavior across the board. Challenging the status quo, not in a critical way, but with compassion, using compassion to challenge the status quo communication. I cannot express this enough. I see this as one of the hugest failures of most companies. And then gossip kills, right? So communicate frequently, communicate with by embracing other people's emotions. And that's called creating a holding environment, whether at home or in the office place, you have to create a a place for people to be heard. The leader needs to be able to feel comfortable in his or her or their competency to hold a space for the emotion without going to judging it, fixing it, solving it, but just allow that space to kind of create, including when there's conflict, and then being able to allow the conflict to not dysregulate the leader. But in other words, allowing that conflict to create innovation and to birth an environment of connectedness be yeah. through the conflict, if that makes sense. And then I would just say, entrusting other people to do their job while holding them accountable, where through sort of a feedback process. And then last, I would say by celebrating their contribution. People need positive reinforcement. They need to see that they have efficacy at what they're doing. So I think those are the core ways of leading with love. That's great. All right. Enjoy Jennifer's coaching session with her client who is a true-to-life CEO of a technology company. I hope that you draw inspiration from this session and uh, maybe even you can get some pointers to improve your own well-being as a leader. So it's been a minute since we've talked. And as you know, I want to always give you the space to sort of talk about a little bit what's on top of mind and anything that's kind of been pervasive that you want to sort of address most immediately. Yeah. So. Obviously, you know, there's been some kind of personal things that that are coming up, like breakup. And so, you know, just making sure that I stay focused on my work, I think is important and, you know, something that's been challenging, but I'm getting through that. And 
Other than that, I had a board meeting yesterday. Things have been a little bit tough, like just juggling personal stuff and a lot of changes in the organization. So yeah, it's kind of high level where I'm at. Got it. So let's talk real quick about some of like staying focused on what you can control as within your control because of some of the things that you're dealing with in your personal life. What do you feel you can share about the status of how is it imposing on your your work, the breakup and all of that that you're dealing with? Yeah. So, I mean, one is just like basic concentration. You know, I need to be focused for the team and I can't let kind of personal things seep into kind of how I present myself in the business. And unfortunately, it kind of has. <laughs> the board kind of like pulled me aside yesterday and they're like, hey, like, is everything okay? We've never seen you like so low energy. So yeah, I mean, that's a challenge. Like it's at the end of the day, I'm a human being too, but it's like, I need to present myself in a certain way so it doesn't impact the team. And that that has been a challenge, I'd say in the last few weeks. So not surprised, right? Because our lives are not bifurcated. I wanted to understand, you know, what have you shared with the team about mm-hmm. kind of what you're going through? Yeah. So nothing. I find that it's not good. Like I, I don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. being transparent about that type of thing. I feel like being open like that is generally detrimental. And so I don't see a lot of like business value in being open about Mm -hmm. things like that. And yet, if we don't share anything, even high level, it's what you're noticing and that's being demonstrated that people see something and then they might start creating their own narratives. I'm not sure what the board was noticing, but they saw something was happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's lots of things. So the board saw, I was a little bit more open with the board. I didn't talk about a breakup, but I just Mm -hmm. said, you know, it's been challenging running the company from my like little office, like my home office, like a 300 person company. And also we've had some resignations recently too. Mm. So it's like literally, it's like all kind of converged on me. So it's personal stuff and business stuff. And it's like, it comes on and off. Like today I feel great, but yesterday I did feel like super low energy and there's really nothing I could do about that. Okay. So you shared with them that a little bit more with the board about like, I've just had some breakup maybe, and I'm working from a, you know, from home and it's yeah, kind of I didn't confining. share with them the breakup. I just mm-hmm. said it's been a difficult year and now mm-hmm. we're having some resignations. So yeah, like it's, mm-hmm. that's probably what you guys are experiencing. So I, mm-hmm. I did, but I didn't go into detail. Totally. And so what the resignations, it sounds like those are mm-hmm. I don't want to make assumptions, but it probably unexpected and have impacted you in the business in some way that tell me a little bit about more about that. Why are they saying they're resigning? Yeah. So the company was kind of like more in a survival stagnant mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. place, like the last kind of two years. And in COVID, I was trying to just keep the team together so we could survive that. But now mm-hmm. we're experiencing growth and I've mm-hmm. been putting a lot of pressure on people on the team. and. It's all like long-term going to be good resignations because Mm -hmm. I don't think they're the right fit for where we're going. But short-term, the resignations weren't done on my terms. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's always difficult. Like it just creates extra stress and, you know, you, you have to like control the narrative within the organization. So 
all that is a challenge. What do you think you need the most to get you through this next phase, this adjustment? So I actually think I'm doing, I'm managing it pretty well. There's days that, that it's tough. And so it's just tough because you start like daydreaming about all your problems and it's hard to be like present. But in general, I feel like, hey, look, it's going to pass and I'm going to get through it. And I've been through worse. So <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, a high level, like I feel like I got it. High level. High level. You know, I, yeah. yeah. So how do you manage through those days? Manage, not just push through. But manage those days where you are daydreaming and it's difficult and you're thinking this is really tough. Because I do agree. We've done a lot of work. You've worked really hard. I think you have developed a strong core about your efficacy to manage difficult uh, times. And yet, sure, I I mean, I'm going to call it maybe moments of self-doubt and probably very exhausted. How do you navigate through those difficult days? So one thing that has been really, really helpful is just like my exercise routine. By the way, I did a long fast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually made things worse. <laughs> but oh my gosh, now, you did? Because you're hang- like, you're hangry? <laughs> yeah, because I didn't eat for for extended period of time. But anyway, I, I started working out again with my trainer. That like really, really... Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. I've also, I told you, I got a meditation coach too. Mm-hmm. So meditation is interesting because it's not easy at all. Sometimes you feel like you're just wasting your time, but that mm-hmm. has been helpful. So mm-hmm. I'd say it's like, it's really those exterior kind of like endorphin type things that mm-hmm. I think are helpful. Just kind of back as a distraction and they build confidence. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So you're sticking with a routine, both in mind and also physical body that's allowing mm-hmm. you to, that's a state that's stabilizing you. Good. Good. Correct. Yeah. Are you having any thoughts of, in those moments and just those days, and I understand they're just moments where it's like, is this ever going to end? Can I get through it? How are we going to manage or not? No, I've had a few kind of valleys where like I kind of get pretty down. I hope I'm coming out of that, but I have had a few days where I'm like, this is just like too much, but I'm hoping to have less of those in the future. It is too much. Not just knowing what what you've been dealing with, but dealing with a global pandemic, it's too much for all of us. And so I do want to acknowledge that it is too much and that's okay. Do I think that you're going to pull through? Yeah, of course. And you're right. You've been through hell and back in many ways, but it is too much. And I want you to make sure you're having grace on yourself about that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. How can I support you? Yeah, I mean, I I think high level, I have it. I think it would be interesting if you have any thoughts on like, when there's kind of like, those just down days of kind of just like low energy, like, do you have any thoughts on how to kind of like, build out of that? You know, I'm a huge proponent of self-reflection. Everyone needs their own process of that. Some people want to kind of like take notes, turn to reading. I know recently you read, I think you find me saying a, a man's search for meaning, finding sense of yeah. finding personal moments of personal reflection, which includes both your own 
thoughts, and we've talked about thoughts, feelings, behavior chart. When in those moments, you're like, this is just a moment. How am I feeling? What am I thinking? And then paying attention to how you behave. What do you do with that, right? I think in the moment, that's the most critical piece. And then having a chart of that gives you a better understanding of yourself, of how you handle those moments, and also takes you out of yourself. Being of service, I don't know what that is, like petting a dog, right? It's different for everyone, but literally doing something that's just comforting, comforting, but in a healthy way. One of the great things about you is that you don't turn to alcohol or drugs to for as a soothing technique, right? And what I'm hearing is you're rediscovering the, in, the meditation and working out as a coping mechanism. So that's good. But knowing how you behave in those down moments is going to help you figure out what's best, a better behavior. So you don't turn to one of those negative and make it go more of a downward spiral. So I would encourage you to self-reflect or do a thoughts, feelings, behavior chart, even if it's just on your phone and you're just kind of like keeping a diary of it while you're working through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So one other thing, by the way, that you pointed out that I at least recognize is that I always go to worst case scenario. And it's funny, I was like talking to my family and I definitely it's like part of our lineage because like everyone in my family does it we we're kind of laughing about it but <laughs> it yesterday or a few days ago there was an incident that we had with one of our vendors and like they pissed me off and they were definitely in the wrong but like I really went to worst case like was talking to my lawyer and I was like going to like make the situation worse although I was in the right like I was reacting to just everything going going wrong and like I was gonna end up creating like a ten thousand dollar lawyer bill for really no reason. Although I was in the right, right? But I kind of stopped myself based on like some things you've said about like not going to worst case. And I, I didn't talk to the owner of the company because she's crazy. But I talked to one <laughs> of the one of the team members and I was like, okay, like this is kind of how I think about it. And he was actually super reasonable. But anyway, I have been seeing how like going to worst case really can create some like a really bad and it's funny i can see it in people too like other people around me go to worst case and blow things up that don't need to be blown up anyway that's like, interesting observation i love that you pull that out i'm going to just use the word the best intervention for most people especially around any cognitive distortion like a worst case scenario all or nothing thinking is pause and mm. You know, there's a yellow light for a reason. It's not just green and red. There's a yellow light for a reason that gives you the space to pause, to think about what's the best decision next. And so what you're talking about was like your reaction, like you were about to react. And I always go to breath in that moment to like do what we would call like a, a pranayama breathing where it's a deep seated breathing. It's like, because that takes us out of our fight or flight in our body, right? Because you were like, what mm-hmm. the hell? Going to worst case scenario, you're emotionally dysregulated in that moment. And and mm-hmm. what we want to do is like slow everything down and say, move us from our limbic system and our emotion and over to our executive functioning where we can make more rational decision that's not based on our emotion. And yeah, you've done totally. a really good job for a really long time, like coming through that process on different things over the, the course of the past year, year and a half that we've been working together. And so it's just remember, and it's hard. It's a hard wiring, especially to your point, if there's an intergenerational 
catastrophizing distortion about how to look at the world. That's like a doom and gloom. Yeah. And I would argue some of your behavior in the past previously has reinforced that thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And what we've been working on is to slow down, yellow light, pause, so that you don't have to get to that doom and gloom, that you can actually, if it's headed in that direction, you can course correct mid-course, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Slow the F down. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> to regulate what's going mm-hmm. on and right in the it's regulate going in your physiology and the awareness totally. of just knowing that that's how you are. That should be, yeah. wait a minute. That's just the way I've done things. It doesn't mean that's the way I have to do things. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Do so you have the tools now, right? You've been doing it. It's just sometimes we need to be reminded sometimes of reinforcing yeah. those behaviors and thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, Sometimes it's hard because I, I really was about to like end up wasting a bunch of time and money really for no reason. But anyway. And was that you getting into myself. your ego a little bit? You know, like I want to win. I want to, or no. Yeah, it was for sure. It was definitely trying to get into my, I was definitely right. I'll say that. For sure. For uh-huh. sure. But it was just not worth it. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, it was both. It was like ego and me catastrophizing and going to like worst case. And actually it was literally just required a conversation with a reasonable party and Mm -hmm. we sorted it out in like 10 minutes. Excellent. So now you have more evidence to support that when you just slow down and pause and move into the rational brain, you've got evidence to reflect on in the future when this happens again and challenge that like, I gotta, I know because I have evidence to show me that this works. So I'm going to just stick with what's worked in the past. In terms of like intelligence and experience, I definitely have those, but it's more of like holding myself back because I'm not totally confident in where I am. So it's definitely, and it's something I've really realized recently and something obviously I want to to better explore because, and I, I think one thing I've realized is like, I've been around a lot of people that are not as smart as me mm-hmm. that have actually gone further just because they're, they're more confident. And what you're talking about is self-efficacy. And yet you've got it, but you haven't mastered. And that's what we're talking about is the mastery of acknowledging and embracing that I don't have to have all the answers. I'm in process. The answers will come. And you've created the network of people to lead on if you, and frankly, probably need a few more, right? You know, you're in some organizations and I'm hoping that that network will also are some places that you can lean on as as well as therapy too remind you that every entrepreneur I've ever worked with feels this way. They're just not sharing it with you. I just hear it. I'm just lucky to be in the position that I'm like, literally every entrepreneur I've ever worked with felt this way. So it must feel like you're on an island at times, even because a lot of people aren't sharing that information. But yeah, I'd love that you recognize these are just beliefs. They're not truths. Yeah, for sure. Feelings are not facts. Yeah. So as we're looking to close this session with the time that we had, is there anything else I can help you with or or do you want to explore these last few minutes? I recognize in the organization that like we're going to need to do some pretty severe culture change slash layoffs because mm-hmm. I, I think the culture has just been too lax the past, past few years. Mm-hmm. And it made sense where we were as an organization, but there's going to be a lot of disruption in the next six months. Like we need to raise the standards way higher. And I think there's going to be a few people that are going, 
on my executive team that are going to be able to get there. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to make it and, and need to be terminated. Curious if you just have any thoughts on just like how to navigate kind of like that kind of radical change, because I feel like people aren't getting it quick enough. Like, and it's like, I'm also kind of a little bit annoyed. Like I kind of sound like I just keep saying the same things, but yeah, any like tips or tools on how to just kind of like set new precedents, kind of change people's understanding of their relationship to the organization. So the relationship to the organization, meaning like some of you may be here in six months and some of you may not be, or how they are engaging with the organization. How, how they're engaging. So like we have had pretty easy goals to hit, for example, and now mm-hmm. the goals are going to get a lot more aggressive and people are going to be expected to deliver on those. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there's just going to be a lot of change and turmoil in the next six months. And like, mm. Basically, what I'm more, most concerned about is the people that I think can change. Like, how do I get them to change? And then how do I get them to not be so discouraged by the kind of tsunami that's going to be kind of going around them? Tell them why. Start with mm-hmm. help them to understand the larger impact that needs to take place and give them the space to twofold. One is to understand why, but give them the space to adapt. You know, what we didn't get in the global pandemic was a time to adapt. It was like change direction overnight. And that is shocking to the system. So you want to talk to them about it up front, what's happening, kind of let them in a little bit into the company or the organization and let them know a little bit about what's happening. And then given the space to start shifting their mindset, they have a mindset Mm -hmm. of what's expected of them. They need time to like grow into what's now going to be expected of them. It's like going from kindergarten to first grade, you know, like, oh, I got to learn a whole new thing. Okay, wait, what something new is being expected of me. That's why, you know, that's so I I want you to encourage them to, you know, let them in about what you're noticing, but not in a critical way, but giving them the understanding of why things need to change. Give them the opportunity to give them input of like their own feedback about what's been happening or what they feel holds them back. And not just in like a one-off and then never do anything about it. It doesn't mean you should do everything that they suggest, but summarize these things through communication, like through all hands meetings or frequent sort of memos of like, I've been talking to some of you going into some of these meetings, doing one-off quote unquote coffees or coffee breaks via via Zoom, where you're actually getting to understand their worldview Mm. and doing sort of like interceptive, if you will, meet and greets with them. Those people are going to appreciate that you care enough about them to hear from them what they Mm -hmm. see your need. And if you can tether that and weave that into the fabric of the culture in general, but especially as you're going through this really highly volatile timeframe, I think they're going to be more receptive to it and they're going to be more inspired because they're going to understand why things are changing. You're going to take time to give them the opportunity to adapt and to give feedback. They're going to feel more empowered and they're going to feel more connected. Yeah, yeah. So what if my approach is kind of like, hey, look, what we're building, it's really hard to do. Like there's very few teams that have ever been successful doing this. And to do that, we really need to raise our standards like 360. We need to expect more of ourselves, of our coworkers. And obviously I would elaborate more. And then I'd say like, 
how can the organization support you to get there? And like, what are some changes that you think we need to make to get there? Is that high level how you would approach it? Okay. Close. I would start with you. Mm. I've noticed I've been tired. I even recognize that this has been a hell of a couple of years for us. And we've navigated it and celebrate the fact that you even survived. And now you're Mm. in a growth. I mean, you want to celebrate the wins first. It makes it easier for people to hear the hard things, right? Yeah, that, and that's, I think you, that's real. Yeah. And then I think it's important that you acknowledge, like, even I'm tired, or even I mm-hmm. have to acknowledge that there have been times where I feel like I haven't really held the standard high enough. Mm-hmm. And I want to be, I imagine some of you have thoughts or, or ideas of how we can probably even grow. And I want us to work together to raise mm-hmm. the standard. So it's a it's not just a we need to do this. That's a that's like telling them and talking at them. Open right. up a little bit more mm-hmm. about you don't have to get into the details, but yeah. open up a little bit more and take some personal accountability and like I've even recognized that For I sure. probably haven't been holding things as high as I probably could. I believe that most of us here can get us where we need to go. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a feedback. different yeah. It's a different shift totally. of languaging. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to, I have a few calls later today and I'm going to try that. But yeah, no, I, I think that's great advice. Thanks. And you have to do it frequently. Like it can't yeah. be just a one off. I just need you to know you have to communicate frequently and with purpose and stay open and create a space for them to honor some, like maybe some hard feedback that mm-hmm. it's going to be hard for you to hear, but you embrace it. Totally. Yeah. But very good feedback. Thank you. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. I just want to, I just want to, I've said it to you earlier, but I'll say it to you again. I'm, I am impressed with your courage. And I hope that part of why you're doing this is because what you share with the world and with the truth that you've shared today is inspiring to other people who aren't, who are feeling it and are going through it. And so thank you for your courage. Yeah, I hope so too. And as always, thank you for all the support you've given me. My pleasure. Okay. So I'm back with Jennifer. And we wanted to just kind of share some key takeaways and just kind of comment on this session. Jennifer, first, I mean, did anything surprise you? Well, I've been working with this client for a while. So I'm not surprised. He's done a lot of work on himself and and self-awareness. And, you know, he's a go-getter. So sometimes he does come from that immediate ego place. And I appreciate that he's able to pull back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, because that's a lot of the work that we've been working on. Anything surprised by anything he said? I don't think so. I'm not surprised yeah. by anything. Well, here's what came up for me, a couple of things. Uh, well, he started the session, I mean, talking about how he's been challenged by running the business. And now he's he's faced with resignations, which is a big stressor. And on top of that, he mentioned a breakup, which I'm not even going to get into. Okay, so, <laughs> but all those things are kind of crashing down on him. Mm-hmm. But he, it's funny that he said he doesn't feel being totally transparent has any mm. business value. Yeah, it's, I'm not surprised that he said that because that's more of the work I want to continue to adjust mm. with him. So I'm not surprised by that, his perspective. And yet, yeah, there's a, I think if I may speak in generalities, there's this perception, particularly with a lot of men, but you know, you're in this position of power and you're afraid to, to see them see you as being weak. And that's why I tried to pull, 
pull out that, well, it sounds like people are seeing that something's going on and now they're creating their own narratives about what that might be, right? And so you want to kind of let them in. And so, you know, in time and over time, I would encourage him to be in any leader to be a little bit more open. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, give the details that I have, but I would I would definitely say, you know, things have been a little tough at home for me more recently and it's going to make them more real. And I think people are going to be more attached. The employees are going to be more attached and the directors to like help support him through this time. So the I saw this narrative that happens all the time is these the leaders that are just pushing through now mm-hmm. and yet, and they don't realize that they're, well, maybe they do, but I can clearly tell that your client was exhausted. Mm-hmm. In fact, to the point where he's asking you for tips on, okay, how do I get out of this, this low energy state that he's sure. in? And I love that you gave him some really good coping mechanisms. Uh, one of that stood out for me is self-reflection. The other one is kind of a, a like reframing. I love the fact that when he said that he goes to his worst case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. How many of us do that? Where we, we're now responding to a situation or a crisis, we're reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And then when we react to it, we may jump into all kinds of negative narratives mm-hmm. in our heads, scripts that play out in our heads, and we go to that worst case scenario, right? And that's, it turns out that when we act, we may be, Making a mountain out of molehill. I, I love the fact that you said the best intervention for that is pause. Mm-hmm. And in pausing, you are able mm-hmm. to think more rational decision. And you throw in the deep breathing as well. Elaborate a little bit on that because this is really key, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, look, our minds, our hearts, our bodies are connected. And physiologically, what happens is, you know, no surprise to anyone is that when we start feeling emotional because it's tied to a thought that we have, you know, a catastrophe in this case, our heart physiologically often starts racing into fight, flight, fawn, right? So the first thing you have to do is then get a hold of that sensation in your body. Most people are not aware of what's happening inside of them because they just keep going and pushing through. So that's where it's like, Deep breathing connects you to your heart. It's the first mm. thing you do when you're born. It's the last thing you do when you pass, right? It's breathe. So getting yeah. in touch with that breath allows you to move from your rational, from your emotional brain to your rational brain. And it slows down your heart so that you don't feel like you're fighting for your life. Literally, even though, you know, we're in sort of a Western culture, it's a psychological and emotional attack. So we have to slow that down. So there's that space between the stimulus and the response that then leads to the behavior. So if we can contain that space with breath and connecting Mm. to our body, our bodies become the trigger for, uh uh-oh, I'm working from hyper arousal state of emotion. If we we can connect that, okay, my face is red. I feel my heart racing. I must be emotionally charged right now. Connect to the breath by kind of it's called a pranayama breathing and yoga. They use it a lot. That's how yeah. I, it's almost like a cutting off at the throat. It's like a all through your nose. And I use it with people who suffer from PTSD or in panic attacks. And what's really important is even in my therapy sessions and coaching sessions, I regulate it. So here's a great example. Yeah, I went scuba diving for my very first time recently, like um, two months ago. And Thank God I have these tools. Otherwise, anyone who has control issues should probably not be going scuba diving. Get into the water and as you're going down, you go down a little bit further and you go down a little bit further. And I, my breathing was getting messed up. 
And the scuba instructor puts his hand out at me like that because you can't talk. Yeah. He did what I do for clients in session and what I try to teach them to do for themselves in breathing. He puts his hand out. I look at him and he starts modeling how to regulate my breathing so I could be more in control in that moment of when I was feeling panicked. And then I was able to start breathing based on watching him, observation, social cognitive theory, right? And breathing through watching him do it. And that allowed me to contain my emotional fear, right? And the psychology of that moment of like, I'm going to die if I don't hurry up to the top. And then I was able to like go further, further, further and further down. So same thing. We just don't, it's like that pressure of being underwater, but being in leadership and containing ourselves and slowing everything down and getting regulated with ourselves. Really good stuff. The last part of your session also struck me and I get this a lot in my own executive coaching sessions. He he talked about, you know, he's shifting now. The organization has Mm. is is going through a change where employees now have Mm. to raise their standards, right? Mm. And he's worried about how they're engaging the organization. He and he was talking in terms of bringing the hammer down and and get and having some terminations and and the question was, Jennifer, how do you get them to change? And the first thing I thought of is you don't get them to change. Mm-hmm. You first, you start by, by changing you first mm-hmm. as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. And then I love that you went to the why question. Well, you know, employees may not know really the, the full story of what's going on. A while all of a sudden we're, we're being asked to quote, raise our standards. And so mm-hmm. the communication, the transparency, you talked about give them the why behind this decision, this new shift, right? And, and then give them the space to shift their own mindset. The, maybe the time to just kind of like back up and go, okay, oh, oh, I, people need to process. Human beings need to process their feelings about what's going on. And then you also said to give them a, a chance to share their input. And to me, that speaks to leaders have to allow employees to have a voice. Mm-hmm. It's not just handing down decisions mm-hmm. from the mountaintop and say, you do as I say. Well, first, you want input. So you're giving them an, a voice so that they can share their input, concerns, and, or even great ideas. Mm-hmm. And to me, that speaks to, I love this because it speaks to the caring, the mm-hmm. caring part of leadership. But you know what? So this is what I'm thinking is that the, I don't think that his mind was ever going to go there unless you told him because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's ready to fire everybody. <laughs> That's the impression I got. So I love that you told him that he needs to raise his own standard. And don't talk at them or talk down about raising their own standards, right? Start with you as the leader. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they're operating at the standard he set as precedent. Mm. And now he's recognizing, I'm not shooting high enough. So to your point, it's like, well, acknowledge that you've changed and you're asking them to grow with you. Yeah. Jennifer, what is your hope? For this person you just coached, he is a high-level leader and CEO of an organization. So what's your hope for him and maybe for any of us listening who can identify with some of the issues that came up? My hope is to be candid with you, more integration. You know, I mean, he's he's sort of a young hotshot who has a lot of potential and he's he has super grown in this last like year, year and a half that we've been working together. So I hope that we continue to integrate more of this centered leading where he's centered and every decision he makes comes from a more centered place and contained. 
Mm. Right. And that he, as you said earlier, uh, recognizes value and showing up with a little vulnerability in his leadership and where and when is the right place in time. Yeah. On the front lines of war, probably, you know, you got to be mindful of who it's safe to share what with. I recognize that and how much. But showing up with some more vulnerability and you don't need to give every detail, but knowing enough allows people to feel more compassion for you and they want to work harder for you. So that would be my biggest, I think, hope for him. But he's just a great guy and he's kind of fighting an uphill battle without saying too much in in sort of the venture capital world. And so Mm -hmm. I can imagine he's coming from a place of it's me against the world with some of the more challenges than a lot of other people in his position have. So I can understand where he's coming from and why, but those are the things I think it would be great for him to help in his healing process. That's great. Well, this has been eye-opening and it's, it's, there's so much value packed into this session. I really appreciate that you came on to do this. So we end our episodes with two questions, Jennifer. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Okay. Well, speaking of being vulnerable, 2021 is kicking my ass. <laughs> I'm a pretty resilient person. I've had some pretty uh, you know, adverse childhood experiences that were in that way helped to make me resilient. But, you know, I've had some hardships. I've had a lot of grief and loss, not just from COVID, but you know, my mom had a life-changing stroke. I lost my dog two months ago from who passed. And those are big losses for me. And all the while I'm growing my business and getting my dissertation. And I've had to really give myself the space to have grace for me. And one of the things I take away from this is nobody would know that unless A, they ask and B, I'm willing to share that. And what I really struggle with with that and moving into the health and wellness and mental mental health in particular space is, you know, we still are such a culture where unless you're showing it physically, you know, I had a crutch a year and a half ago from knee surgery and the world changed for me for about three months. People were opening up doors for me. They were really running across the street to, you know, help me carry something because they could see I was struggling. But without that mechanism, that actual physical cast, if you will, people just go about and make assumptions and then are critical and are not compassionate to you. And you just truly don't know what's going on for people. And worse, we beat them up. You know, we tell them that they should be, you can't run in the Olympics because your mom passed and you smoked a little weed or, you know, we're going to fine you for, you know, Naomi not, not wanting to, to do press after the tennis match because she has social anxiety around doing press. And yeah. so, culturally, where we beat people up and not give them the space to honor what's inside. So what gives people the impression they should share what's happening inside? So that's what's happening for me right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So finally, you get to close us out your way, just as every guest does with just that one final takeaway or final comment or remark. You have the mic. There's so many things. But I think the thing that honestly that comes to mind most is have grace for yourself. If you have grace for yourself, it's a little easier to have grace for other people. And especially right now, the world needs grace. That's my key takeaway. Mm. Jennifer, if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, can you point them to a couple of or as many Mm -hmm. options as you want? Where can they go to find you? Well, the the best way is directly to my website at jennifermusselman.com. And it's muscle like the clam, not like the body muscle. Try growing up uh, with the last name of Musselman uh, as a young girl. 
So jennifermusselman.com. And and then online, you can find me at my startup therapist, at my startup therapist on Instagram, or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And I will make sure that all those places are in my show notes for you to find on my website. Jennifer, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marcel. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And as I mentioned, look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. And we will see you next time. Thanks again. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the love in action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.